0: Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in Hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers. (sighs) 785-833.
1: I walked out on the stage and Roy introduced me. I sang the first line, he stopped loving her today. And then my, I went completely blank. I couldn't remember the words. No it way. It freaked me out so much because I'm on the Grand Ole Opry and I look at the audience and my dad and my mom, and I'm like, and I couldn't remember the words.
0: Episode 430, Stephen Curtis Chapman. There are some episodes that I do and I get excited about them. And this is one of them, but there are some that I get excited about and then I get excited to tell certain people that I have done it. And I called my in-laws and was like, "You'll never guess who was just over at my house." Big fans? Huge fans. Even my wife's a big fan because like, she knows all the, she knows all the songs. It's like she was like, "Oh, you know what record I like the most?" Because she didn't come down. Yeah, it's not her favorite thing to do. But I think she would have had I told her. And it's on the calendar, but she doesn't look at my calendar every day. But like, yeah, she was just reciting songs. This Stephen Curtis Chapman, and then the. Um, was the other one that she freaked out she sang all the hymns at church chris tomlin chris tomlin yeah yeah so when she was growing up my wife they would have like on road trips they would get pick like one album to listen to and it would always have to be a christian album so she has vacations associated with complete albums from christian artists because that's all they would listen to on the road which is funny and it was purposefully done not the christian part of i mean that that too but i'm saying i think her parents had the idea of they want certain albums, certain artists to remind them of certain places, uh, yeah. which is pretty smart. Yeah, it is smart. So, But she's a fan. My in-laws are massive fans. I, they, they'll they be like a big country star over and I'm like, who's that again? What, what, what's he do? Is he one of those Georgia line? <laughs> but then I said Stephen Curtis Chapman, and they were like, oh, my gosh. He was in your that's house. That's <laughs> crazy. So he's such a nice guy. I'm lucky to know him a little bit from playing the Grand Ole Opry uh, with him, never on the, at the same exact time, but the same night. He celebrated 50 career number one songs at radio this spring, joining people like George Drake, Madonna, Conway, Twitty, 50 number one songs. He's only one of those four to be a writer on every single one of their 50 songs, though. He wrote all, all of his. So we're talking about that. Um, and he's celebrating all this by playing clips of each song on social media, throwback footage, and a scripture from his pastor around every song. So you guys go follow Stephen Curtis Chapman, at Stephen Curtis Chapman. But it's like a, he's a superstar. I mean, the dude, he's also so nice and not fake nice. Sometimes we get fake nice people in, and that's okay. I don't care. Maybe you're just having a bad day. You're not feeling good. and You're just trying to put out a fakeness, a niceness to get through. But like I, this dude's like, I've never seen him not be like mm, kind and just aware. Yeah. How'd you feel about him? I thought he was awesome. His whole story of like playing the operating and that whole full circle moment. Amazing. And his dad. Yeah. 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 Uh, do we run th- run through a couple songs? Yeah, let's do three, two, one. Top five sh- or top three uh, streaming songs. Number three, Dive. Number two, I will, be here.
1: I will be here.
0: And number one, this one's a monster, Cinderella.
1: So I dance with Cinderella
0: while she's Stephen Curtis Chapman, the most awarded artist in Christian music history. 59 Dove Awards, five Grammys, an AMA, 50 number one singles, has sold out more than 17, sold more than 17 million albums. God dang. I mean, da- uh, gosh dang. <laughs> gosh. Gosh dang. Whoa.
1: <laughs>
0: That's crazy. Uh, here he is. And I, I'm, I don't know that my in-laws listen to every episode. If you are listening right now, just text me like, I'm hearing you talk about me <laughs> to my in-laws. Here he is, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Mr. Stephen Curtis Chapman, thank you for being here. I'm, I've told you many times. I'm a massive fan of of yours, and also I just like you, and that's not always the case with with a lot of people. Sometimes you meet them and yeah. they're fine, or you know, it's yeah. everybody doesn't have to like everybody. Yeah. Uh, but you're just a good dude. <clears throat> You've always been super nice to me, so I was super excited when they said you were going to come over. So yeah. I just want to yeah. say that up front.
1: Thank you. Well, thanks for having me.
0: But yeah, you're, seriously, I appreciate you. What have you always been like? Outwardly, purposefully kind, or was there ever a time where you? Had some sort of perspective change where all of a sudden it wasn't so much about you. Mm. Did that ever happen with you? I feel like yeah. mine has recently happened, but yeah. I only know the version of you being super kind. Mm. Have you always been like that?
1: I, I would, first of all, thank you. I mean, it's humbling and kind of a hard question to answer because immediately you're.
0: It's like a super compliment. You're, you're I yes, 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 think. I know. like, Yes. Uh,
1: well, you know, yeah, I think, uh, let me tell you about. Uh, let me let me tell you how, how proud I am of my humility. Um, <laughs> yeah. but it's funny when you ask that. I uh, um, I read a book recently called Love Kindness, and it's a book about kindness. And it really it was probably one of the best books I've read in in a long time. And and um, I was so into it. I told the author uh, how much I love this book, and they asked me, "Would you? We're going to re-release it as a paperback. Would you write a forward?" So in the forward, I was just wow. reflecting. You got to
0: write a forward of a book you loved?
1: Yeah. How cool was that? That's
0: yeah. like if the Hunger Games yeah. called me.
1: <laughs> that would be
0: crazy. Hey, it's probably gonna I'd happen. be like, that's wild. <laughs> okay, anyway,
1: go ahead. So now, yeah, Bobby, write the forward. Um, so I wrote the, but I, but in the process, I was thinking about just kindness and what, you know, the the power of it. It's funny you said that because my shirt.
0: Your shirt sure does say kindness.
1: Um. um And just, you know, how important and yet how kind of um, uh, needed it is now. It feels like kindness is not the thing that is the order of the day so much. And um, and I started to remember in a time when I was a kid, when, so my mom and dad, I grew up, and of course, obviously grew up around the church and buckle the Bible belt in Kentucky. And when when I was a little kid, my dad was more interested. He was chasing the music dream, wanted to be on the Grand Ole Opry someday. He was a country music writer, had some not real success, but but tried and would come from Kentucky to Tennessee. But uh, and my mom took me and my brother to church uh, pretty regularly on Sunday morning, but my dad really didn't go. It wasn't against it; he just wasn't wasn't his thing and, and wasn't that interesting um, after he'd grown up in the church and all. But just as an adult, but we had a revival, uh, back in the day, they called it a layman's revival, which was basically meant they didn't have an evangelist, a preacher. They just had people get up and tell their story and they came from other towns and they would come up and and they needed host homes, people to stay in homes. So they didn't put them up in hotels or anything. Of course, I'm in Paducah, Kentucky. I don't even think we had a hotel. Um, and, we somehow, and this honestly was kind of a miracle when I look back, I think it was just God worked this out because we, my mom convinced my dad to let one of these guys stay in our home. And he was a, he was a dentist. I remember his name was Dr. Findley Baird. And he stayed in our home for like four or five nights, which was unusual anyway. It was kind of freaking me out that that was not a typical thing for my dad to have somebody stay in our home. And he uh when he left I remember there was like he left like three bucks on my pillow and my brother's pillow with a little note and just said thank you guys for taking such good care of me and being so friendly to me and it was and and when I look back it's funny that happened when I was probably 6 years 7 years old and it really changed the trajectory of my family it's probably why I do what I do now the music I do and all of that cuz my dad really was marked by that was changed by his kindness in in our family
0: got your dad too huh
1: yeah yeah and it wasn't just and it wasn't because he he didn't preach at us he didn't he was just kind and it was that that i think won my dad over more than anything and and for me too i just still remember dr finley baird as this he was just he had kind eyes he was just a very kind guy and and it made such an impact in my family um And maybe, you know, I was so young then, kind of marked by that, I don't know how much of a difference that made in the way I would react to people and respond to people. I think that's sort of in your, for some people, it's a little more in their DNA. They just respond that way. My mom's very kind. My dad is as well, but uh, especially my mom. And so you're kind of around it, and that's just how people relate to one another. Um, But, yeah, anyway.
0: I would assume that if it affected whomever your caregiver is, your dad in that situation. Yeah. So it affects you, but then it also affects you because it affects your dad. Right. Whatever yeah, it is, it doesn't exactly. have to even be this. Like if yeah. you were to see a parent be genuinely moved or affected by something, yeah. you know what that would probably do to you that you don't even really understand at the time. Yeah. That would be a big deal. For me, it's my, yeah. my getting married. And I don't think I ever was not nice. I just, I was kind of like an animal. I didn't do stuff to be mean. I was just yeah. trying to eat. Yeah. I was just, yeah, right. just running through the woods, yeah, yeah. surviving. If something needed help, I'd help it if, yeah, you yeah. know. Uh, but my, my wife, I remember when she, she – we were briefly talking about the pandemic before we went, recorded here, and she she was coming here. We had been dating for a few months before the pandemic hit, and it was one of those things because the pandemic was only going to last like a week, and so she was yeah. going to come stay for a week.
1: Yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, Oh, this will be gone in a week or yep. two. And she
0: is from Oklahoma, but she had just moved out to California, and so California was going bonkers yeah. earliest, oh, sure. earlier than everybody else. So she yeah. was like, come here. And I remember I was taking her around Nashville a little bit. And she came back to the house and she says, I need to go to the store. And I was like, all right, cool. So we go. And everything's not completely shut down yet, but she buys, like, all this soap and these bags. And I remember her filling up all these bags of, like, bars of soap and an orange and, like, 2 or $3. Mm-hmm. And she just wanted to drive around and make sure that a lot of the homeless people here had these little bags because she just was like, "I don't. we don't know what's about to happen. And and it was out of nowhere. It was out of nowhere. Yeah. And that, and that just having her in that constant, that consistent, it's not even effort it feels like from her. Sometimes it feels like it has to be effort for me yeah. because, again, I'm an animal. Yeah, yeah. And for me, it took a long time for that to kind of happen. But I do feel yeah. a difference because of her and, just how she reacts to the world, but mm. I, but even when I yeah. like, talk to you, you've just always been the nicest guy, and and nice, not in the way of like fake nice. Just like you look at people, yeah. like oh. you you invest, even if it's forty five mm. seconds, mm. you know, and invest into like, what's up, mm. and that's a lot. Yeah, wow. Uh, Paducah, I've been through a few times. I always mm. associate Paducah with random town in America. When I go to my random town, it's Paducah,
1: always. <laughs> really?
0: Always. That's to me. That is random. <laughs> it's the the most representative, <laughs> generic town of kind of the South, but kind of the Southeast, not really yeah, the South. Right. Always yeah. my reference is Paducah, mm. Kentucky. So I love it. What was Paducah, what was Paducah like as a kid for you? <sighs> and, you know, what resources were there?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, my favorite thing about Paducah is it. It is. Geographically halfway between Possum Trot and Monkey's eyebrow. Of course, everybody knows so, that you know, though, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the best thing. I had a t-shirt when I was a kid. It was like it said that said that. I come from halfway between Possum Trot and Monkey's eyebrow. I'd give anything to still have that t-shirt. In fact, I just nowadays you can just go online and like custom make a t-shirt. I need to I need to make that that shirt again. But um uh so Paducah, yeah, what was uh what what was it like, or were like you as what a kid? Like just like, yeah. Just what do
0: you remember? What what are the the, the vivid know, memories of home of the town?
1: Yeah. Well, um, it was. It's a river town. It's right on the river, um, and uh, on the Tennessee River. Actually, the Tennessee and the Ohio River kind of run. The, what do they call it? A uh, uh, when when two rivers kind of run together. Um, that they're they're literally both at the. We call it the foot of Broadway. So if you drive Broadway all the way through Paducah, you're going to run right into the river. you got to eventually turn around and come back. So did you
0: like fish a lot?
1: Yeah, so I did. I grew up fishing and grew up. Um, and, and we had a in I think it was 19, it was like 47. The flood of 47 or something is always talked about in Paducah. There was a major flood that completely flooded the, the downtown, so they built this big um, flood wall. So when you get to, to Broadway, which now we have a really cool, it's called the Carson Center, which is really nice. Uh, kind of Symphony Hall. We have a Paducah Symphony. I've I've done a concert with a Paducah Symphony, so um, I know from experience they're actually really good. A lot of the players come from Nashville, but um, but there's some from Paducah. But um, but so I remember the flood wall. I remember hearing the stories of the flood. Always kind of being a little nervous about that. Is you know can that happen again? But no, that's why we built the flood wall. Um, but I, I remember. My, I mean, my best memories. We had the Columbia Theater, which I keep thinking I need to go back and figure out a way to to we we've even talked about trying to revive it and bring it back around because it's you know defunct now but it's still there it's one of the old school beautiful inside real ornate kind of old school theaters did you go to shows um, there yeah 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 we went it was it was um you know it was movies i mean I remember where I first I saw my first uh movie when I was a kid and of course saw Star Wars there and saw um Gone with the Wind, I think, might have been the first movie I saw. It. The, which, how, how typical is that? That's pretty cliche, but, that's, uh, but that was it. But it was um, my grandmother, uh, my dad's mom, uh, would take my brother and I uh, to um, Finkel's, was the store. Um, and that's where we would go and get our new uh, Converse tennis shoes whenever we wore out our tennis shoes. We would always go there. It was kind of an everything store, but they had, because this was, of course, before there were Walmarts and Targets and all that business. So it was a department store, I guess. And, um, and my grandmother would take me and my brother and we'd get, pick out our new Converse Chuck Taylor's and take off running down the street because it was like, look how fast we can go now because we got new shoes. You know, you could go even that much faster. And just, you know, obviously great, great memories. My dad played music. Um, a lot of my memories around my church, um, little Baptist church, all of Baptist church where we sang and kind of grew up singing together as a family. Um, but we played, you know, we'd play music around town. My brother and me um, became kind of a little duo Chapman brothers. And we'd play at the uh, Western Baptist women's hospital auxiliary Christmas program. We were always a big, that's deal a lot like of words. That, I mean, that is man. That, that's just, just words. to, even have that have to words. even say that. I'm tired halfway through. I Western Baptist, there, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, but, but, um, yeah, so a lot of music and fishing. Yeah, I grew up fishing. My dad is uh, it was my favorite thing, um, really is is fishing. We hunted a little bit. We had we had at the time we had quail. Still had wild quail. They're they're all moved out now, pretty much. But you can't find them around this part of the country. But we could hunt. We'd walk out our back door with our four ten shotgun. We always had a hunting dog. My dad grew up loving hunting. We didn't do a lot of it, but but bird hunting a little bit. And um, I had two ponds close to my house i grew up basically just fishing pretty much every day if i didn't have a guitar in my hands i usually had a fishing pole
0: in my hands. when did you start playing guitar did your dad have a music store
1: he does still still okay yeah.
0: so when did you start playing guitar or do you remember or do you just always have no, something
1: I, I remember pretty distinctly because i was my dad owned a music store he started it when i was uh, probably about five years old he worked for the railroad in illinois central railroad because um, that's kind of my family all of my uh, my my family on my grandmother's side, my dad's mom's side, were all railroad people, and we had a big uh, train depot, Illinois Central, um, in Paducah. And um, so my dad worked there, hurt his back, ended up like lifting something and had back uh, back surgery, ruptured disc, and and he had always his dream though had always been to have a have a little music store and be a guitar teacher. He loved music, barely. Finished high school, got his GED. Didn't go to school. Didn't go to college. Uh, neither did my mom. He just he had a radio show. Actually, incidentally, um, when he was about sixteen in uh, Eastern Kentucky, he went to Eastern Kentucky to live with some some family. He didn't his his dad, my grandfather on my dad's side, died when my dad was a real little. Left when my dad was three. Alcoholic, um, went AWOL from the Navy. Just kind of a bad. Just just had a lot of struggles and um, never made it home met my dad met him twice in the playground of his elementary school some homeless guy kind of wandered up to the door and and the teacher said hey herb there's a man that wants to see you and of course all the kids are laughing like who's that who's that bum at the door right and he my dad walks the door and 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 he says hey herb i'm i'm your dad i'm virgil and um and of course you know i'm trying to get my act together i really want to be a good dad, but I'm kind of a mess right now. All this stuff, just things that really, uh, you know, my dad had a lot of, obviously struggled a lot with that, and and so, um, and my my grandmother never remarried, so my dad grew up kind of without a dad in his life. So when he got in high school, he he went to Eastern Kentucky, playing music, uh, and wanted to uh, and had a little radio show, and back in the day. You know, you you kind of played records, but you also played a lot live. It was back in those days when he took his guitar in and he'd play whatever the current Hank Williams songs were and all that, and then they'd play a record, spin a record or two. You know, that's crazy. So so cool. I, I wish I, I would give anything to have some recordings yeah. of that. You know, my dad, but um, but he came back to uh, came back to Paducah, uh, married my mom. My mom was sixteen when they got married. Um, and he started working at the railroad, hurt his back, but he always wanted to be. Uh, own a music store. He started writing songs, came to Nashville, had a little publishing deal for a while with with some guys the Glacier Brothers who guys here in Nashville know know their names uh, from back in the day. And never had any real success but kind of dabbled in it and played and had had some real interest. He's a very very talented guy and some actually some of Colonel Tom Parker's people of course, you know, we all know Colonel Tom from, you know, Elvis, Elvis. days. Some of his people had some interest in my dad, courted him a little bit, but it never turned into anything. So he kind of rushed up against it. But finally settled down into this music store, uh, Chapman Music, in Mayfield, Kentucky, and, um, which is just outside of Paducah, which was the town that got destroyed by the tornadoes a few years ago. Everybody heard about Mayfield, Kentucky because it basically got leveled. Um, that's where my dad's music store started. I was a kid. I'd go hang out in his music store with him. Always loved just being around music, around guitars. So I was six years old. My dad brought a guitar home for my older brother. And because um, and my brother was probably eight, eight and a half, my dad thought, yeah, he's old enough to start maybe playing. But I was the, the one really interested, even though I was only six. So my dad sat me down, saw how much I wanted to learn, and uh, and first song he taught me was Folsom Prison Blues, Johnny Cash. So I'm six year old kid, just topping my lungs singing about shooting man in dun, Reno. Dun, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs>
0: right. That's funny. So that was, was your dad a like a, a it's classic now? But was your dad yeah. a country music fan? Like
1: Big fan. Yeah, he would go to the Opry uh, when he'd come to Nashville. I love this story because it's it's a, such a fun story. The whole the whole wrap around. He would come to Nashville from Paducah, bring his guitar, come try to make you know go up and down Music Road you know, pedal his songs and and had a few meetings here and there. And he, he told me that he used to go to the Ryman back in the day. That was when the Opry was, there was before the Opry house was built. He'd go to the Ryman. He couldn't buy a ticket, couldn't afford a ticket. But that back in the day, they didn't have air conditioning yet. And in the summer, they'd open the windows. And he said, I'd sit in my car, roll the window down, and I'd listen to the Opry and think someday – I want to be on that stage. That's my dream because he, you know, and he loved, he'd listen to it on WSM. When I was a kid, if the weather was just right, you're two hours away from Paducah, you you, you could get, you could pick up WSM and you could hear the Opry. And I, and I remember being in the car and my dad would, it was crack, you know, it was all this static and all of a sudden you'd hear, you know, well, you bake right with Martha White. You know, you'd hear one of the you know, little commercials and dad go, hey, that's it. That's the Opry. Hang on. y'all. Everybody hush. You know, listen, that's the Opry. And, uh, you know, it was just this reverence of, man, that's music. That's where it comes from. And um, so fast forward, gosh, you know, I'm going to say 40, 40, 50 years, um, I do a bluegrass record, which I've always wanted to do because that's the music my dad really grew up, bluegrass and folk music and all of that. And and, um, and I I was releasing my bluegrass record called Deeper Roots, and Ricky – had Ricky come do something with me on it, and my dad sang on it with me and my brother. We did a bunch of old stuff we grew up with. And uh, I called dad and I said, "Hey, I want you to come to Nashville. I'm gonna, I'm gonna debut my new record, and I want you to come perform with me." Uh-huh. And so he walked out on the stage of the Grand Ole Opry, Opry. and wow. uh, and 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 he was 80. I think he was like 80 years old, 70, 79, and walked out, and we sang together, me and my dad, on the stage of the Grand Ole Opry. So he made it you know
0: that's awesome
1: isn't that a great story
0: what a great
1: thing to be able to ask him too yeah
0: like i want you to come and do this with me yeah we can do this together something you've always wanted to do that is such a cool story
1: yeah hang tight the bobby cast will be right back and we're back on the bobby cast
0: you remember the first time you played the opry
1: yeah i do yeah i was in i was uh uh 19 years old i worked at Opryland usa uh which was an old uh it was an amusement park that was here forever i don't even know you probably i wasn't ever here go no yeah. but i knew about
0: knew it about and it. Then i know a lot about it yeah. now
1: okay so so i graduated high school in 1981 in paducah um was on my way to to i was going to go be a dentist i don't don't ask me why my dad well, said i could tell you why yeah, you yeah, made a yeah. nice dentist in your house <laughs> that left you three dollars that's right there you go you're probably i've never even thought about that it's like why did i think dentist probably that guy because my dad plus my dad told me it was really hard to make a living feed a family playing a guitar because he had done it for like also 40 true. years yeah. he said also true. Uh, he said go get a real job go get an education Dabble in music. You're great. You're talented, but man, so few guys can make a living doing it. So, so I was like, all right. So I'll do the right thing, you know. So I was off. I was going to go to college and major in uh, whatever pre med, pre dentistry. I guess I don't even know. But, um, but the summer before uh, I went to college, I graduated high school, my brother, my older brother, and I came to Nashville and auditioned at Opryland to try to get a summer job. You know, and um, playing music, playing music in one of the shows, made it. Got got in one of the shows called Country Music USA. Country Music USA, you dress up like the artist, you know, uh, uh, Porter Wagner. I, I remember I did Porter Wagner, wore the suit. You, you wore know. the suit, You huh? walk out and you do yeah. the suit, um, <laughs> which was donated. It was an actual one of Porter's suits that he donated. That's cool. And I'd come out and do George Jones. He stopped loving her today, and I'd come out and do, you know, and flatten and Scruggs, and, you know, you dressed up, put the hat on, came out and did a chorus of the song. It was just a, you know, it was a variety show, basically. And um, did that for the summer, and um, I got a phone call one day that um, uh, they said, hey, would you come do the Grand Ole Opry? Uh, you want to sing on the Opry? I was like, like the Opry? Like, or just on the stage? I'm like, yeah, it's a strict question. And they said, well, we bring kids from the park every now and then, and we call it the future stars of country music or whatever, and we just bring you know some of the kids from the park. And it's kind of a promo to send people to go you know, out in the park and buy sure. tickets. And, and so – uh, they said, come, you know, we want you to, you've been invited to come play the Opry. I was 19. I told, called my dad, of course, who at this point was like, dad, guess what? I'm going to sing on the Grand Ole Opry. So he came, my mom, my grandmother, my brother, uh, it was sitting out there. And uh, Roy A. Cuff introduced me. And I walked out on the stage. And uh, and my big song in the show, kind of my big moment in the show in the park was, um the, the announcer would say, the incomparable George Jones, and I'd sing, he stopped loving her today, and do the chorus of, he stopped loving her today. So I walked out on the stage, and Roy introduced me, and uh, I sang the first line, he stopped loving her today. And then my, I went completely blank. I couldn't remember the words. No it way. It freaked me out so much, because I'm on the Grand Ole Opry, and I look at the audience and my dad and my mom, and I'm like, and I couldn't remember the words. True story. And I'm like, okay. This is bad. I'm on the Grand Ole Opry. My dad and everybody and Roy standing there. And so it seemed like about two hours. It was probably <laughs> about, you know, 20 seconds. But I'm like, and the band keeps playing. And I could hear the band behind me going, they placed a wreath upon his door. They're trying to give me the words. You know, everybody's like just dying for me. And so I, 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 I suddenly get the words back. And I'm like, they placed a wreath upon his door. Finish the song, get done. And the crowd's, you know, super sweet, like, oh, we loved it. Roy walks over. This is a true story. He said, he's like 90 at this time, mean, he's very, you know, he's late in his years already. And he said, well, Steve, sound like you forgot the words there for a minute. <laughs> you know, not going to let it go. I'm like, thank you. And I am not kidding. The first thing that came to mind, which is terrible and I feel bad, this is not a kind thing to do, um, my this this will show the real you know the other side of Stephen Chris Chapman. um the first thing that came to mind is this is when george was no show jones and that's what they called him he would come on stage sing a song fall off stage and they you know it's terrible and the first thing came to mind is i just said well roy no i didn't forget the words i just wanted to sing it like george does it these days that's funny
0: that's funny <laughs> i don't think it's not kind i think it's
1: pretty funny it was pretty yeah funny. and the crowd thought it was hilarious and i walked off stage and roy looked at me and he said well son I don't know about your voice, I don't know about your music, I don't know, but if you can pull that off at this age in front of that crowd, I think you just might make it in this business. So,
0: when you finished that are. show and again I've had situations too where I just blank. Yeah. For whatever reason. Yeah. Did you have a lack
1: of confidence or did was
0: your ability to recover so good? that you felt you could then do anything cuz you had already done it bad and got yourself yeah.
1: out of it. I think that was a I think that was probably more than anything cuz I remember my dad coming back and I thought my dad, I knew he wouldn't be disappointed. I mean, he's been my biggest fan, but I just felt I felt bad and and dad, my dad was like, "You know what? Elvis forgot the word, son, but what you did with that? That's awesome. You just you you won the crowd and that's that's a performer. That's what an entertainer can do and you got that in you. So, that's, way to go." You know?
0: Did your dad? Did you get to see him perform like openly in places, as, like where you would go and just sit and yeah. be in awe of your dad?
1: Yeah. When I was a kid, he was in a group they were called the Village Singers, and and uh, he, I'd go watch him perform. That's my earliest memories, really, are watching my dad play. We had a little Kentucky village, Kentucky Dam, which is in Kentucky. There's there's Kentucky Lake and Barkley Lake and land between the lakes area, and my dad was in a group called the the Village the Village Singers. And they would perform every weekend at the at Kentucky Dam village area. Like and, a boy band
0: or like with instruments?
1: No, it was bluegrass. It was folk oh, bluegrass. Oh, oh bluegrass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, they played Rocky Top and you know, and then dad would oh, sing Green Green Grass of I Home. Can't, I can't. I hate do rocky that song Tom. too. No, I can't either. I'm sweet home Alabama, but okay, we won't talk yeah, about yeah. That. I, you know, I,
0: I can take that song. <laughs> That's really one of the cooler entrances. I would go down to Tuscaloosa and watch us get our brains beat out. Yeah. Are you Alabama fan?
1: I am. I have my daughter's a cheerleader at Alabama.
0: Well, I, I've spent many, many, um, miserable, but also really cool weekends down there yeah. because you know, they have all the statues of all the coaches that won national championships oh, yeah. and you know, Saban, there's six or, or, how, or yeah. you know, install All the coaches are there. Yeah. Bear Bryant. Yeah. Um, and then they play Sweet Home Alabama, the entrance. Yeah. I hate to say it, but it's pretty cool.
1: It is. It's pretty cool. I know. It's, it's pretty I know. cool. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So why did your daughter choose Alabama?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a crazy story. My so I have two my my so I have six kids, three biological, um, and then we adopted three girls from China, um, and so my oldest daughter, uh, oldest adopted daughter, Johanna, um, it's kind of a brainiac, uh, smarty pants, and she was gonna look, go to Duke or Vanderbilt or one of this. She was looking at uh, at Ivy Lees. I mean, she Arkansas. I like, the, she's like Arkansas. Yeah, yeah, that was right there. And uh and she um a friend of ours said uh who had a daughter similar, very high I mean my daughter, okay, dad bragged for a minute, got like a thirty five on the ACT. A thirty six is perfect. perfect you yeah, know, she that's got awesome. one away. So it's like, okay, she's oh. probably gonna go do some you know, go somewhere. And uh she but a good friend who had a daughter similar to her academically said, Man, I was not, Alabama was nowhere on our radar, but they offered our daughter, they're trying to get her there on a pole vaulting scholarship, but she went and visited the honors college and was blown away. And it said, I know Showy, I know kind of her, you know, sort of thing, her intellect and and all that and academic leaning. You ought to go check it out. So we went down there just, she's looking at schools. She's a junior in high school and went down. And we were blown away. Every every one of the, like, especially the Honors College, they were really working hard to bring a lot of those kind of students, sort of the higher, you know, academic students in. And so our daughter, Shoei, said, I-, I think I'm, I'm going to go to Alabama. And um, my wife, who's a massive college sports fan, um, was like, Okay, I'm good with that. <laughs> we can go watch football games. But I'm also thinking you guys aren't yeah. Alabama fans, right? Then, like, you're not. No, you, no, no, no. Got it. Yeah, she's Ohio from Ohio, so she's kind of a Buckeye fan. I grew up in Kentucky, but you big blue nation, or no? this is, it's sadly, I'm I'm pretty sports dumb until I met my wife. Got it. In fact, to the degree that the first year we were married, she looked at me and started talking about how excited she was for uh, for March Madness, and this guy from Kentucky, and I'm just confessing here, you probably will never have me on your show again. I said out of this mouth, now tell me again, what's what's March Madness? I'm not really sure. <laughs> and she looked at me like, is it too late to annul this marriage? I've been married a virus. to you a Kentucky yeah. <laughs> guy who doesn't know what the heck. It's like, what? How's that possible? So that's what she had, had to deal with. So we were not necessarily Alabama fans. We have some good friends, very dear friends who are – Massive, went to Alabama big fan so we've watched some games i figured i learned who Nick Saban was um, i was shamed when i when i said who is that so i i've quickly learned and so showy went loved it our daughter uh her below her Stevie Joy is an amazing cheerleader as always was a gymnast wanted to cheer incidentally at Kentucky cuz they have like the best cheer program in the in the nation and when a lot of you know championship they have a big competition then where they do co-ed uh championship uh cheerleading thing in, in florida and she watched it every year on tv and takes notes and like that's where i want to go and then they had a big blow up fired all the cheer staff her junior year and so her second choice was alabama it's in a great program too, cheer program so she ended up going there following in her wow. sister's steps so now we've we're in our sixth year uh showy graduated got her master's in social work from alabama and then now stevie joy is a junior getting ready to cheer at the rose bowl in, that's in pretty cool days. so we're yeah. pretty excited that's really watch yeah, that's really cool yeah
0: you have 50 number ones if i said you have to name all 50 of them or the earth explodes could you name all 50 of them Oh man!
1: If the Earth is <laughs> explodes, yeah,
0: I'll do it would, for the ball players too. I'm like, you have to make nine out of ten three pointers unguarded, or the yeah. Earth explodes. Could yeah. you do it? <laughs> could you? Could you name off? the I'm not going to ask you. to. I don't think
1: so. I I I don't know. I, I might. I've looked at the list now enough because I'm doing something on social media where I'm doing a chorus of all number one songs, kind of over the time. So I've looked over the list, but I would get close. I think I'd get close. I could go through the the albums. In my head, and I, I, I would, I think I could get forty-five, if not all fifty.
0: Looking at the list of people who have had fifty number ones, just anywhere. Well, there's like four people. I mean, it's, it's you, it's Madonna, mm-hmm. was one. Conway.
1: Yeah. As I heard. Yeah, and, is uh, another
0: one. Um, and George Strait. George. Oh man, yeah. So all four That's of you guys, good. you should have done a record together.
1: That's some pretty good company, huh? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> is there like a text thread you guys are well? <laughs> Yeah,
1: it's a, yeah, right. Not Conway, obviously. Rest in peace, yeah, not Conway. But you, He's George a, and Madonna just yeah, chatting it yeah, up in 50. Boy, that would be yeah. The three, we need to figure out a way to do a trio. You know,
0: where with, did it? What, what's up with the <laughs> the middle name? Why?
1: Stephen yeah, Curtis. That's Shaman. a good question. Okay, so my best, my my dad's best friend. Uh, funny, we were talking about the Opry and talking about all that. So my dad grew up with a with a guy named Jack Curtis Martin. Jack's dream, my dad's dream, is guitar player. They grew up playing music together. Jack was a Dobro player. Um, dobro
0: is like the big the yeah slide don't, don't. Yeah, yeah
1: slide guitar. It's you use a slide and lay it, but flat. it looks like a guitar. Yeah, yeah a resonator, and uh, and and Jack became dobro player for uh, Flat and Scruggs, and played on the Opry for years. So he made it big time. So anyway, that's where my middle name Curtis comes from. Jack Curtis Martin. So
0: it's not and, your real um, middle name.
1: No, it is my name. So my name oh, so is Steve Curtis, Curtis. Curtis Chapman. Got it. So I come to Nashville. I'm Steve Chapman. That's all I've ever been. I mean, I'm a Paducah boy. You don't use, you know, you use your middle name when you're in trouble. That's it. That's why you have a middle name. And if I heard Stephen Curtis Chapman, that was, you know, (laughs) get in here right now, Stephen Curtis. Um, And so I come to town. uh, There's a guy, uh, songwriter named Steve Chapman and his wife Annie, and they do music together. And, uh, And in fact, when I was a kid, I had an album from a group called Dogwood who was comprised of Steve and Annie Chapman and one other guy. So I thought it was cool because I had a record with Steve Chapman's name on it. Um, And they kind of did folk. It was sort of gospel, but it was kind of folk music. And um, so I knew there was another Steve Chapman, but I thought, I don't even know if he's still doing this. So I get to town and all of a sudden all these people are confusing me because I'm in gospel Christian music. They're like, is that Steve? Wait a minute, Steve Chapman's married to Annie. Why is he talking about Mary Beth? Did they get it? You know, what happened? And Um, And so literally my record, when I first started writing, my publisher came and said, royalty checks are getting confused. You know, BMI doesn't know is that Steve or which Steve Chapman. You need to come up with a different name. And uh, um, Steve, actually Steve and Annie's son is Nathan Chapman, who went on to produce Taylor Swift and is a country music guy, great guy. And uh, I met him at, at Baggage Claim one day when he saw my bag go by and he said, so you're the other Steve Chapman that's not my dad, that everybody wonders if I'm and your you kid. And you guys are not yeah. related at all? Uh-uh, not related at all, yeah. So I just
0: assumed you were.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, And I know yeah. Nathan. Yeah. yeah. I great, assumed you were yeah. like cousins yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> his dad is, yeah, wow. but his dad is Steve. And um, so they literally, one day I walk in and my, at the time, publisher, and I was just starting to talk about doing a record somewhere down the road, but I'd been passed by everybody at the time, over as as an artist, I had had some success as a writer, so people were interested in signing me for my publishing, but no one was interested in signing me as a as an artist. And um, so they said, "Hey, if we're going to do this, one thing we'd feel like you got to do something different with your name because people are going to get you confused, not know you're a different guy." And so, what do you think? And literally, it was like, "Well, see, can Stephen Chapman work? I'll just put my you know in on the end of it." And they said, "No, it's not different enough." Yeah. And I said, "Well," and they said, "What? What's your middle name?" I said, "Well, it's Curtis, Curtis Chapman." That sounded like an R and B artist or something. Didn't feel like me. And I was like, "Man, I don't know." They said, "Well, just use your whole name, Stephen Curtis Chapman. That won't get confusing." And um, and so that was kind of it. Now, did you
0: feel like regal? Cause I feel like it I'm using three names. It felt kind of weird. It like felt I thought very I was, weird. Because just your yeah. name, saying your name, yeah. I just feel like I'm doing something like <laughs> in a legal room. <laughs> Stephen Curtis Chapman. Yeah. And I've said it forever because I was listening to your music you're forever. Yeah. It's, but it's, I it,
1: know three names. It's kind of it's kind of it sounds a little pretentious and and uh, fortunately or unfortunately I don't know. When I was a kid and and because I was still a kid when that was all happening. I mean I was 21 years old when 22 when that was being talked about. And I think I don't even know—I didn't even know what the word pretentious meant, probably. So it was just kind of like, well, it's my name. I mean, I don't know what else to do. You know, Stephen C. Chapman, they're like, nah, it's not a Michael W. Smith, that's working. Mm. But so I, it's funny. I just—yeah, it felt it felt like a lot, but they were all for it. And I was, you know, I'm like, well, who am I to argue with the, the, you know, the experts? You know, they know what they're talking about.
0: When you were deciding what you were going to do with your career— did, was it always non-secular, secular? You're mm-hmm. picking what kind of. Did you know you were going to do Christian music? Was that just a big part of your yeah. life? How did you end up choosing that as your selection of what yeah. you were going to do?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. It was a question my dad and I talked a lot about because my dad had such a love for country music. Um, did you not? I did. Okay. No, I love it. I grew up with it and loved it, and you know, it's like I, like I said, my job at Opryland before Opryland, there was a little. Opryland wannabe in Kentucky, uh, close to Kentucky Lake called Kaintuck Territory. That was my first music gig when I was, uh, I mean, other than playing music around Paducah, you know, when I was a kid, but I got a summer job there before I got the job at Opryland and uh, played music there. Same kind of deal. Again, it was just way smaller, smaller time, kind of a little park, but it was, we played bluegrass and country music and sang you know all that, so I've always loved it. I mean, the music—the music that influenced me as a kid—still, my my probably favorite singer in the world is Glen Campbell.
0: Um, I was literally going to ask you about Glen Campbell next.
1: Yeah, Because yeah. I'm, from,
0: I'm from Arkansas, it's always such a big deal oh, golly.
1: Yeah. too. Oh, so, But it's not gonna, a better I'm, singer. I'm going to pin yeah. that and come yeah. back to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. Okay. So, 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 so yeah. So that's the stuff. And then I mean, John Denver songs when I was a kid, Jim Croce, James Taylor, any of the singer songwriter guys. But then I got into rock and roll too, and you know. But more like the, you know, Doobie Brothers, Eagles. I love the harmonies. I loved any group that had cool harmony kind of stuff, because I've always loved that. But still at the at the core, yeah. It was bluegrass, uh, folk music, country music. But 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 Christian music, growing up singing with my family, and I think because I think what it was when I think about it, is, you know, my dad would my dad loves music. We'd sit and because he was a guitar teacher, I remember him sitting and teaching me. Drift Away, the old Doby Gray. Gray. Give me the beat boys to free my soul. It had a cool guitar part. And my dad brought it home, teaching it to his students, like, hey, let me show you this cool guitar thing. So my dad and I just had that relationship, like playing music, and he'd play whatever. He loved Glenn Campbell. Everything he loved is what I loved and fell in love with. Um, But I remember when we as a family started singing together, and my dad wanted to do country music, but when his life really got changed, by faith and, and a relationship with, with Jesus is really what happened for him. It became more than a religion. It was his real relationship and it changed his life because he had all this, you know, shame and, you know, confusion about with his dad and stuff. And, And for the first time in his life, you know, it was like this truth of these songs that he was singing meant something, you know, he loved Johnny Cash and Folsom Prison Blues, but he's like, I'm not singing from prison. I'm, but when we sang Bill Gaither songs, and there's a song called He Touched Me, that we would sing as a family. My dad would just cry every time he sang it because the song says, shackled by a heavy burden, neath a load of guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched me. Now I'm no longer the same. He touched me, and that's the, that's the chorus. And my dad would sing that, and he'd cry and say, you know, this is like true. This really is true. This is my life. It changed me. It gave me something I didn't have. And I think something in me as a kid even saw that and connected with that. Like the, these these words mean something more than, you know, just singing a song She Broke My Heart and, you know, I'm gonna go you know, get go drinking yeah, drink or whatever. And, yeah. Yeah. And forget about it, you know. This is something that goes deeper than that. I love those songs, I love the story songs and I mean, you know, Glenn Campbell singing Wichita am in I mean it doesn't get any better. But but songs that really had something meant something personal. So when I started writing songs in high school, I started I remember writing my first song. It was, I'd seen another kid uh, uh, at our church write a song. And I thought, well, I never thought about that I could do that. So I sat down, had this idea, and I wrote a song, and it was a gospel song. It was written around a a lesson, probably I'd heard in, you know, youth group or somewhere, Sunday school or something, around what's called the parable of the talents, about a, a. master calls in his servants and he's going to go away and he gives three servants different amounts of he kind of entrust something to them one he gives a little bit the next one he gives kind of a medium amount and one he gives a lot to and says I'm going to go come back do do something with this and you probably know the story he comes back one of the servants kind of buried you know the little bit he gave him and said I don't want to screw this up and kind of didn't do anything with it and then the next one you know had gone and doubled it and then the other one had gone and whatever, you know, quadrupled what he had been given. And so it was called The Parable of the Talents. And at the end of it, the thing is kind of the master says to so the one who, who, you know, used well what was given to him. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. And so my first song was a song called Well Done. And as a kid, I was like, you know, if God's given me talent, then I want to use it in a way that that he would say, hey, you use this well. Well done. I didn't really know That much about what I was doing, I just thought, this is what I want to write about. It's what what was stirring in my heart. It's what compelled me to write a song. Um, And so I did that, and that's mainly the kind of music I wrote. I mean, I'd write a love song or whatever. You know, I was always just creating. But primarily what came out of me was music about my faith, but in a real conversational way. The the guys that influenced me in that is a guy named Dallas Holmes. Um, who was a singer-songwriter kind of in the Christian music world early on. And he was a guy that when I listened to his music, I didn't feel like somebody was preaching at me or telling me how I ought to live or how I ought to be. They were just saying this is – it was like it felt like they were just kind of opening their heart and saying this is just what this is what my life is about and what matters most. And um, I think that's just what inspired me. And I remember my dad and I having that very conversation. My dad came and saw me at the Grand Ole Opry – Another time after that. And I remember him saying, Son, you played on the Grand Ole Opry twice. You're getting these opportunities. You're working at Opryland. You know, look at Ricky Skaggs. I remember him specifically saying, Ricky's a strong Christian guy and talks about his faith, but he sings, you know, country music and that gives him a big platform. You know, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's what you ought to do because, you know, you're at, you, you know, you've got these opportunities. And I remember even then saying, Dad, I'm open to it. I love country music. I love that. But as far as the music that just most naturally comes out of me, that I write mm-hmm. and create, it has some reference to my faith, even if it's not in an upfront way. Even if it's, you know, I mean, songs like Cinderella that I've written or I Will Be Here for My Wife. Some of my most well-known songs now aren't even necessarily what you'd call gospel songs or Christian songs.
0: Meaning if it just came on and somebody didn't know you, they wouldn't be able to define it in right. that genre. Yeah, yeah, right. I would agree. Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So stop by your local Tecova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like to smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah. That's what the whole store basically is. Fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff. Or like the smell of staff?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm sure they smell good there.
0: Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift, too. Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tacovas.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S. Yeah. Yeah. Tacovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. How do the biggest names in outlaw country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in the new scripted audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. This is the Bobby cast.: Christian artists, for lack of a better term, come to Nashville to try to make it. I mean was this the place that that, that group, that genre came as well?
1: Um, I would say in the early days, um, it was not necessarily Nashville. In fact, my first record deal uh, and, and label was based in California, Chatsworth, California, uh, West Coast, Sparrow Records. And they were known as kind of the cool label. I mean, they had, like, you know, very more almost alternative and some of these, you know, artists that they were working with. Um, So the fact that they were even interested in me was kind of a shocker because I represented sort of this hillbilly, you know, kid from Paducah. Um, But it was a time when, you know, on the heels of Urban Cowboy, uh, a lot of the Californians were starting to buy cowboy boots and it was kind of a cool thing, sort of some of uh, country music and all that sort of had a little bit of a, it wasn't nearly as hick and, and, you know, it wasn't country and Western now. It was kind of becoming a little bit more of a cool thing. And so I don't know, maybe all of that played into them at least turning, uh, you know, turning their head to to give me a, a, a look. Um, they did pass initially and said, now we're not interested. And then uh, some things happened, and they kind of came back around and and you know wanted to meet with me, but that was my first you know first label. They eventually moved to Nashville Cur- um Word Records was based in Waco, Texas. Um, they eventually moved to Nashville. Benson, which was my first publishing deal, was with Benson, and they were based here. but yeah, I think uh, it was not necessarily where artists came
0: whenever you're starting to become uh you're you've dedicated not just your life to Christ, but you're dedicated your career to Christ mm. as well. Did you have to learn how to be a better witness? Or did you have to learn how to how to speak, how to... Because mm. you're not a preacher, but right. you do pretty good yeah. at it. Yeah. Especially now, yeah. you've been doing it, you know how to do right. it, you do it a lot of yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if you're just generally playing music, and you're having these conversations with your dad, yeah. that means you probably yeah. haven't spent a lot of time witnessing while playing music, right. op- openly and loudly. Yeah, Or maybe you had in church... like. Yeah. Was there a growth there that you had to go through so you could be a really well-rounded Christian performer?
1: Yeah. You know, when I first started, it's, it's kind of interesting in that I, I really felt ill-equipped. I remember having conversations with my wife because um, you know, I started writing songs, got, got songs cut by other artists, the uh, first cut was by the Imperials, which I was a massive Imperials fan. When Russ Taft came along, and the Imperials changed kind of the face of Christian music. They kind of made the leap from being Southern Gospel Quartet guys who backed up Elvis to, you know, Michael O'Mardian and produced them and, and this guy who'd made Christopher Cross records and Donna Summer, you know, these cool pop records who suddenly brought, you know, these guys into this whole new realm. Like, you can do that and sing about your faith and sing about Jesus. That's, that's amazing. Um, uh, my first concert was Andre Crouch and the disciples, you know, which Andre, you know, was amazing, you know, the, the songs he wrote and, and, uh, and, and, the music he did. So I was influenced by all of that. Um, and, and yet when I first started, uh, you know, so, so I was writing songs and they were getting recorded by other people. Um, I was, I could go back and play you. In fact, I found an old cassette tape of me doing some early concerts. And it's embarrassing how, first of all, how just hillbilly I am. Like, you could never imagine that's the same guy. Uh, And even when I was at Opryland, they did a TV show on the Nashville Network back when we had TNN, the Nashville Network. They did a thing called Opryland on stage, and it's me and my brother being interviewed on that. And we're singing, and I'm talking about, yeah, I kind of want to, hopefully write gospel music. That's what I really love probably the most and, and write, but man, I'm in my country. It's like, yeah, I hope someday I can make it in gospel music. It's, it's pretty funny, but, and, and when I started, you know, and then i I'm writing songs and, and I'll do little things here and there with my brother. Um, and in college, um, you know, I started doing, doing music and, uh, playing concerts and that kind of thing more. And, um, And I, I just remember thinking, man, if I'm really going to do this, and then when suddenly I get the opportunity to start not just writing songs, but recording my own songs and doing concerts, um, I remember thinking, I I didn't go to Bible college. I mean, I'm not. Am I even equipped to really do this? To, to you know, stand with some degree of like, like a preacher, like someone would look to a guy on stage to say he has some, he's got some direct line here that we don't have that's why he's up there so we can listen to what he has to say which sadly we all know that, that isn't necessarily the case uh you know now with documentaries and all the exposés you can tell you there's actually uh, uh you know they're about as broken and messed up as anybody but still there is that sense for me anyway of man I want I'm I'm taking this seriously and I'm I don't want to just get up here and say well this is my you know m- my opinion uh if people are going to be looking and listening in a different way. What I will say with that is the people, again, who influenced me the most, the guys that I was most inspired by were people that I felt like, much like the the the, the uh, original, the OG, you know, uh, gospel music writer, Christian artist, you might say, uh, King David in the Psalms. There was a real honesty, and there was a sense that, I mean, because you can read, you know, King David saying things like, you know, uh, how long, oh, Lord, are you going to forget me forever? You know, I feel desperate. I feel alone. I feel afraid. And then saying, but I will praise you forever. You know, these great psalms that we write songs around. But the reality is there was an honesty. I mean, the Apostle Paul, I am weak, but he's strong. And when I'm at my weakest, that's when his strength, God's strength is greatest in me. I wrote that song, his strength is perfect. I mean, those are... So my songs, I felt like, and even my position, my posture in front of an audience was, I'm just going to be as honest as I can be. Um, And it is my relationship with Christ that that has given me life and is what my life is centered around, my marriage, struggling, good, bad, all of that. I'm just going to be really honest. So when I got up and saying I will be here, the reason I got, you know, signed to my to to CAA with John Huey, who was my agent for many, many years. And CAA, again, was the cool, I mean, they had the big artists. What are they going to do with this, you know, hillbilly guy? They had Amy Grant, which she was, you know, the biggest in gospel music and beyond. And um, he heard me sing, and I'll never forget it. He still tells the story. He said, you got up at Knott's Berry Farm in California. He was out there seeing some other artist, And this kid with a mullet gets up and, Kind of country, kinda of pop, kind of rock and roll. Don't really know what he what he is musically. It's it's good. But he said you I'll never forget, you told the story of your parents who had just gone through a divorce and you were just struggling with the reality of it and you wrote this song I Will Be Here that you that you sang for your wife to say, I don't know what it's gonna feel like tomorrow or ten years from now when I wake up and what we feel for each other. But I've made a commitment. I really wanna honor, I wanna go the distance. So I will be here. This is the song. And he said that that's what, you know, connected me. I want to work with that guy because I feel there's an honesty and yeah, he's singing about his faith, but he's singing about it in in a, in a way that I think everybody.
0: Let's take a quick pause for a message from our sponsor.
1: Welcome back to the Bobby BobbyCast.
0: I would always say it felt like you were singing to or with, not at.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: There's a big difference. Yeah, exactly. Especially, yeah. Um, cause like, I grew up in a Baptist church, and there is a difference. Yeah. In the music and the communication from uh, the different people you would listen to. I remember whenever, yeah. like, the 90s happened, like, late 80s, 90s, and it would be uh, Newsboys, yeah. um, Jars of Clay, all. That's when I first started to feel like, oh, okay, I, now I can actually yeah. feel like yeah. they're saying things I was thinking yeah. and not saying things to me that I should be thinking.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly.
0: You know, and I feel like that's kind of yeah. what people yeah. discovered in you early on yeah. is you represented a bit of what they were feeling and saying. Yeah. And not what they were told they should be feeling or saying. Yeah. Uh, Glenn Campbell, to me, has been an icon because he was massive to my grandma, which I'm drawn to your dad so much. and. I guess because my story is a lot like your dad's story, but in that he loved Glenn Campbell, but Glenn Campbell from the wrecking crew, like he was such a good great technical player, oh gosh yeah and I think that gets lost a lot in yeah. from people knowing Glenn Campbell the the country yeah. artist right. or the rock, or or the yeah. guy that had the TV show yeah um, but he would play. He was the great. He played on Beach Boy records. Oh yeah. Would, so when you say that your dad loved him, it makes sense yeah. because of who your dad was. Yeah. And so did you love him because your dad loved him? Yeah. And see who who because that was my grandma to me. She instilled Glen Campbell to me.
1: Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was exactly it. And I would take the Glen Campbell live, uh, live record, and I want to say it was live in, in at at Royal Albert Hall or something, and and he played a uh, he did for once in my life the Stevie Wonder song, and he did a version of it. And he plays this jazz guitar solo in the middle of it. And it was one of the most mind-blowing, because my real love as a kid was guitar, first and foremost. My brother was the singer, incidentally. I grew up not the singer. My dad and my brother were the singers. I had this kind of squeaky little voice, and they had the big voices. And so I was going to be the best guitar player I could be and come to Nashville and be a session guitarist. That was my dream as as a little boy, really. Because my dad would tell me about how great the Nashville musicians were. They're best in the world. Go to Nashville. Those guys can play anything. And so I thought, well, that's what I want to do because I'm not a singer. I probably couldn't ever be a singer. But um, my brother will be, so I'll be his guitar player. And uh, but I w- So I would listen to Glenn Campbell play uh, this solo on anything. But for once in my life, I remember that solo he did on that live record. And I literally would slow that album down. I had the album, and I would, I would like, put my finger on you know on it and and slow it down so I could try to figure out because it was just a like <dues> jazz stuff that I, I had no concept of and my dad didn't really play that so my dad played bluegrass and played he was a great player but that stuff that kind of soloing even dad really didn't know so I'd try to figure it out because he was in my mind yeah he's like he's as good of a guitar player as he is a singer uh and and so he was as a result yeah a huge of mine
0: so it had to be super cool to work with them
1: yeah oh man gosh my first like like one of my first cuts was uh I'd, I'd written a song imperials had recorded a song sandy patty had recorded a song of mine a group called white heart which was an early christian music kind of rock christian rock group made up of dan huff who you know would go on to be obviously amazing record producer was and, dan you know,
0: huff Striper? was he in striper
1: now, he had a band called Giant, which okay, was, yeah, is giant, which right. was giant. yeah, which was a rock band. But Dan and Dave, his brother David Huff was a drummer, and Dan and. It was a one word and, band. Uh, I got my one yeah, word yeah, band. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. From Whiteheart to Giant. Yeah, it wasn't striver. But, um, but those guys, and, and so I had had a cut on their record. So I'd had some songs cut by other artists. And, uh, and then uh, I heard about Glenn Campbell being a part of a, uh, a patriotic album. So it was a compilation, it's going to be a bunch of different artists and um and uh i wrote a song called another day in america and glenn recorded it and cut it on that record and i is, lost that's my mind crazy. i'm like to hear glenn campbell's voice singing my song and then he recorded i will be here uh, as well a few yeah. a few years later and uh and i got to sing backup on that we, we were never in the studio together jerry crutchfield was producing it and called me and said hey glenn's going to do i will be here um and wants you to come sing background vocals but he was in Arizona I think at the time and so I just went in and sang but oh man that's yeah I, I even when I say it now it's like am I making that up right. is that real did did Glenn Campbell really sing one of my songs yeah I have two
0: two final questions for you um mm. were you a prod a child prodigy were you told that are you are you no. do you know if you were are you being humble
1: I don't think no I don't I mean I don't know what I don't know how you define prodigy uh, specifically, but I was the kind of kid that, um, you know, would take my guitar to school and people go, man, he's, you're really good. But when I watch, you know, now with social media, you watch these kids that like sit down and like they're masters of whatever. And you go, that's a prodigy. I think I was just a, I I was a talented kid who just eat, uh, ate, slept, breathed music. I mean, literally my mom, you know, tells stories of, I would get out of the bathtub, our one bathroom, little hundred-year-old uh, farmhouse in Paducah, and I would get out of the bathtub, and we had these little chairs at our kitchen table that were like w- woven, you know, the the weave on the thing. There, were, that's what the seat was made of, like a woven kind like of the cross-women. whatever. Don't yeah, wonder, yeah, yeah. And um, and I would I would get out of the bathtub, and I, I wanted my I wanted to play guitar so bad that I would just go. Buck naked, sit on the set at the kitchen table. It was me and my brother, you know, and I'm that, like six that now. years old. Yeah, I And play guitar. You do it now, yeah, all I'm right? Now, yeah. <laughs> video games, though. <laughs> that's right. yeah, yeah. And my mom would say, "If you're gonna play guitar, put your pants on." And uh, and because I had little crossbars on my butt, she could go, "Yep, you've been playing the guitar in the, in the <laughs> nude again." That's funny. Yeah, and it was it. but I loved it. I think that was it. I just love music.
0: So, final question, and we were talking about before we started this part uh still and you're doing the tour starting in February of yep. the still tour. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was the stills like the first studio album in almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's a long time to wait. Yeah. What, 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 why, why did you wait? And the last one was, was a little more bluegrass, right? Am I wrong on the, or am I, do I feel right with the timeline? The one before that yes. was
1: bluegrass. Yeah. Yes. That's the one I did. My dad sang on and yeah, the one that I ended up doing on the Opry with my dad. Yeah, it was deeper roots. Um,
0: so why nine bluegrass?
1: years? Um, I, Honestly, Bobby, I didn't even, I didn't know if I would make another record. I don't have a, I didn't have a record deal, you know, a, a, a contract saying, hey, you got to deliver. Music's changed so much the way people consume music. Do people even make records? You know, we've talked before, I think when we were together about my boys uh, in a band called Colony House, my favorite rock band in the world. is a shameless plug for, for my <laughs> sons. Uh, make sure you don't edit that out. Uh, check out Colony House music wherever you listen to music that you love. <laughs> Um, but they're, and they are freaks. They, they are freak uh, talents, both of those guys and their band is amazing and the music they play. So, um, but um, I, we talk a lot about, do people even make records anymore? I mean, I made albums and you listen to them when I had a theme and I had a, it was a movement. It was like a book, you know, you don't, you don't just For get sure. chapter 14 and read about you know the big, you know the big moment of whatever. You you got to take the whole journey, and that's what I loved about records. I mean, I'd listen to those records when I was a kid, and you just you you'd take the whole journey, and you had the up, you know, the fast songs, slow songs, the crying songs, the you know all of it, and um and so I, it's just changed so much, and the way people listen now, it's like you know it's so quick, and and attention span is so short, and you know, so we just want a song and you know, by the, by the, you know, my kids will be like, dad, check out this new song and they'll play 30 seconds. And then it's on to the next thing. And I'm going, I thought we were going to listen to a song. I just got the, ver-, you know, the intro, like, give me a song. So with all of that going on, you know, and, and a guy who, the way I write songs and, and all of that, it's like, maybe I'll make another record. I don't know if I, if I will, I'll, I I think I'll keep making songs. I mean, when the pandemic hit, you know, I'm, I, Turn the TV on, I see everybody's talking about we can do this together. And so I write a song called Together and I call Brad Paisley and, uh, you know, who I just had met. And we'd, I'm like, would you do something with me and, and get Lauren Elena and get Tasha Cobbs and we do this song together and put it on, you know, streaming. And it's like, hey, you can do that now. Yeah. Couldn't have done that, you know, 20 years ago. You have to go press it and wait a year and all that. So take advantage of that. But it, do I do an album? So all of that is kind of, you know, part of the reason why I just wasn't sure. I, I, I love, I can't ever imagine today when I, you know, put my guitar in the case and go, well, I'm not going to do, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm retired, I'm done. I love music more now probably than I ever have. But I think it was one of those things where between the pandemic and all that changed and all that that, that took away music for, for a season, and we didn't really know if it was coming back. Would I ever get to get in front of an audience? I mean, we thought, surely we will. But, man, the more time that went on, it's like, I don't know. I think I fell in love with music again, in a way, and, and, and singing songs for people and watching their reaction and what happens in a live concert. I, I just, it awakened something in me. Um, I lost a, a very dear friend, keyboard player, for many years of mine who died um, at 60, my age. That hit me hard. Um, we lost a brother-in-law, my wife's um, uh, sister's husband, uh, glioblastoma, brain cancerous brain tumors. It wasn't COVID-related, um, but lost, lost him five or six months. I'd never walked with somebody who looked in my eyes and said, man, I don't want to die, but I think I'm probably going to die. I know God could heal me, but I don't think he's going to. And, and I, every song I was writing, I'm like, can I sing this song to him right now? I mean, it's, it's one thing to sing about and, you know, your faith, and God is good, you know, and all the things, but this has got to really, this got to be real. This got to stand up, you know, in, in this. And obviously, you know our story. We lost our daughter 15 years ago, and horrible, you know, journey that we've walked of grief and loss, and we carry that with us. And what that looks like for me now at 15 years later, um, and the fact that I'm still married, Uh, by the grace of God, my kids are all still uh, alive and and doing well, which is only the grace of God. All those things are things that I could only write songs about now. You know, I wrote songs about it five years, you know, in or whatever. But now, 15 years later, walking through some of the things I have, I felt like there's some things that I needed to say and I wanted to say that I could only say now. And I kind of had to push all the voices that said, well, but people may not care. You know, you're not... Stephen Gersh Chapman of, you know, of the Great Adventure days or the, you know, dive days or whatever. And is it going to matter? And it's like, well, it matters to whoever might listen, and it matters to me to say these things. So uh, I feel like I need to do it. And that's, that's kind of was the, the, the reason it took that long, I guess. It's a pretty good reason. Yeah. Pretty good reason. Felt. Felt. Yeah. Uh, right. we,
0: you know, we mentioned the tour before, but uh, 16 cities, the Steel Tour, February, tickets are on sale now. I'm a big fan. I tell you that every time I see you. And You're like, you don't tell me that every time. I'm like, no, no, every <laughs> time I'm going to lead with that. I'm a big fan. I've been a big Bye. fan forever. I'm. Uh, thanks for coming over. I, you know, I was just listing a lot of your accolades. I'm not gonna do that in front of you here before you came into. And it's just, man, it's a lot. It's mm. like it's an honor. Yeah. And not even just because of what you've accomplished, but because, um, you know what you've helped other people accomplish.
1: Because
0: mm. I think that's a big part of who you are as well. Yeah. So thank you. That's all. Just thanks yeah. and. You know I' never I'll never say go roll tide or anything but you know
1: <laughs> I hope I hope your you daughter have I hope your daughter, has I hope a hope great, my daughter a does daughter great well. day cheering good thank uh, yes and thank healthy and it's very kind of right. you see you just you we're talking about a kind guy yeah, oh yeah I get no kinder I get no kinder <laughs> all right good to see you Stephen. thank you buddy. thanks for listening to a Bobby cast production
0: this festival and concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecova's is your stop before attending your next concert. All Tacovas boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecova's has first-wear comfort with little to no break-in period. Stop by your local Tecova's store, have a complimentary drink, shop new styles. If you can't make it to a store, just visit Tecova's.com. T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. You can probably spell it. You probably know it. Tacovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she
0: disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story.